0: All of a sudden, I realize everybody's staring at me while I'm doing it. So. Good morning, guys. Um, happy Father's Day. All you dads, let's stand up. Let me pray for you guys. But you're my dad, so I know you're a dad. What are you doing sitting down? Jeez, some people's parents. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we, um, we're grateful that we can gather on this Sunday, Lord, and be back together as a family, Lord. And um, on this day that we honor fathers, we just pray that you, would, um, that you would bless the fathers here, Lord, that you would be with each one of us, and that you would just give us wisdom, and guidance and direction as we seek to, to lead our families during these just weird times that we're in, Lord. We pray for just for courage to be godly leaders and consistency and grace with our families. And I pray for every father here that you would just pour out a, a double portion of your blessing today. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, everybody else, would you stand up and join the fathers while we uh, read the word together today? Now Peter and John were going up to the temple. I'm sorry, I didn't tell you where we were. Um, Acts chapter 3, (laughs) verses 1 through 11. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Now Peter and John, about to go into the temple, now seeing, sorry, Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. You can be seated. Heavenly Father, we just pray again that you would, um, that you would just meet us here this morning as we open up your word and continue our study through Acts, and that you would um, just speak your truth into our hearts, Lord. We ask that in your name. So this is an amazing story, really. And we're only going to look at the first portion of it. It kind of carries on a little bit next week. But um, so we see here in verse 1, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And I think it's worth noting that at this point, the church was still largely a Jewish affair it really hadn't begun to spread to the Gentiles yet. It wasn't until a few chapters later when the Lord revealed himself to Peter at Simon the Tanner's house and, and Peter goes off to preach to Cornelius that the gospel really begins to make an impact in the Gentile world. So it's largely Jewish at this point. And the church still engaged in many of the temple activities. They didn't engage in the sacrifices. Luke points that out, that they were going at the hour of prayer, not the hour of sacrifice. But, but they didn't see themselves as separate from Judaism yet. And so we see Peter and John here, basically they're, they're going to church. Right, they're going to the temple at the 3 o'clock service, the 3 o'clock prayer service here. And this was a, a very busy time of day at the temple. The temple would have been packed full of people right now. And a lame man, verse 2, a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. The grammar's kind of weird in that sentence. It's kind of a really long, weird, continued sentence there. But what he's saying basically is this. You know, they, as, as Peter and James got close to the temple, they saw there's this guy, and it says that from birth he was crippled. He was, birth, he was lame from, from the time that he was born. And this guy, he wouldn't have been able to move on his own. He was really dependent on other people. And and that day and age, this would have been an extremely difficult situation to be in. Having to be moved from place to place, not being able to go to the bathroom yourself, not being able to work, not being able to provide for yourself, not being able to get married. He would be cut off from temple worship. In, In that culture, he would really have been lacking dignity. He would have been cut off from society, essentially. And so someone we see here, family or friends, they carry him to the temple to beg for alms. And as they say in real estate, location, 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 right? Location is everything. And um. so beggars, they would try to position themselves strategically. Maybe you want to be right outside of a... of a a rich person's door or maybe um, at a crossroads on the highway or at a market. But the very best place, the very best real estate for for begging would have been at the temple, right? Because think about it. People are coming, they're they're trying to, to please God, right? What better way to please God than to give some money to somebody who's poor, right, in their mind? Right, and so this would have been a great location for him. And so we see him here at the gate called Beautiful. And you may know that in the temple there were there were different layers, right? Different areas, different courts in the temple. And as you pass through, each court grew more and more restrictive as to who could enter. As you first went into the temple, they had the court of the gentiles and this was an area that the gentiles were allowed to go but they had to stop there they couldn't go any further and then the next court was the court of the woman and women were allowed to go into this area but that's as far as they could go and then they had to stop and then past the court of the women was the the hall of israelites and the men were allowed to go into the hall of israelites but That's as far as they could go. They had to stop. And then past the hall of Israelites was the hall of priests. And that's where the the Levites were allowed to go. But they couldn't go any further unless that they were an actively serving priest. And then they could go into the holy place where they ministered before the Lord. And then beyond that, remember, was the holy of holies. And the high priest was allowed to go in one time for the year. And so we see this kind of progressive restriction there. And so this gate that we're talking about here this morning, the gate called beautiful, there's a little debate as to where it was, but most scholars believe it was in between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women. And so it's right here that this lame man is sitting, begging for alms. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, He asked to receive alms. It's a funny thing. Oftentimes, when you see uh, somebody who's begging out on the street, you're leaving Winco and they're there in the corner with their little sign. You know, what do you do? You try to not make contact, don't you? You don't want to look. And you know it's true. Right? You, you pretend you're on the phone or anything you can do not to make eye contact with them. Because eye contact is that sort of personal connection. And once you and them make eye contact, you're locked in. Right? You either have to deal with them and not give them money or and give them an excuse, tell them you left your wallet at home, or you have to give them some money. But once that eye contact is established, it's hard not to interact with that person. And that's sort of what's going on here. This beggar understood that. So he was sitting out there trying to make eye contact with people. And he probably didn't know who Peter and John were. Right? They're just a couple of guys. He was hoping to score a a couple of potential shekels here. And so he asked them for money. And verse 4, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something from them. So Peter and John, they approach. You know, the guy's hoping he's going to get some money here. And it says that Peter directed his gaze at him. Basically, they're they're kind of looking at him, giving him the the once over, right? Kind of using their discernment to see if, if he's really a crippled guy, if he's just somebody trying to get a handout or whatever. And so they're they're using their discernment in this situation. And the beggar here, he thinks he's about to get some money. So he's looking at them eagerly. He's thinking, you know, I'm going to get a few dollars. You know, things are looking up. I'm going to go to McDonald's after this. What was this guy's motivation for paying attention to Peter and John? He wanted to get something, right? He wanted to have his physical needs met. He wanted a coin or two. And so Peter looks at the situation and assesses it, and he says, you know what? Sorry, your motivations are all wrong, so I'm not going to minister to you today. You know, I apologize, but your heart just isn't in the right place. Your heart's not pure. Your motives aren't right, so I'm just not going to share the gospel with you today. No, of course that's not what happened. And of course this beggar's motivations were wrong. Of course his heart wasn't pure. He's not a believer yet. You know, we as believers, our motivations aren't always right, are they? Our hearts aren't always pure. It's funny how sometimes we can expect unbelievers to attain to a higher standard than we expect from ourselves. Peter and John here, they weren't concerned with why they had his attention. They said, you know, as long as we have his attention, we're going to do the work of the Lord. We're going to share the gospel. We're going we're to plant the seeds of the gospel in this guy's life and, and see what the Lord wants to do. And the reality is, sometimes people come to church for the wrong reasons, don't they? You know, sometimes people come to church because there's a girl they like there. You know, don't laugh. I know that some of you are here because of that, or initially came because of that. I'm not, I'm not looking at you, Andrew. <laughs> you know, some people come because there's snacks afterwards. Sometimes kids come to youth group because there's video games afterwards. Sometimes people come to church because they want to ask for something. Sometimes people come to church because it's a place that they find love and acceptance. And, you know, I don't care why people come. I don't care why people are here. Once they're here, they're going to hear the word of God. They're going to hear the gospel message. You know, I'm going to make sure that once people are here, they understand that they are lost in sin and that Jesus died to pay the consequences of sin and that salvation is is freely available to all who ask for it. You know, my job, once people are here, is to scatter the seeds of the gospel. And some of those seeds will take root and some of them won't. Some people will receive the gospel with great joy like in the parable of the sowers, and some people will reject it. And that's okay. My job, your job, isn't to save people. In fact, none of us can save people. Our job is to scatter the seed and allow the Lord to bring in the harvest. And so you know what? I don't worry about why people are here, why people are listening. If they're listening... Share the message that the Lord has given you. Verse 6, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold. This guy thinks, all right, I'm getting some coins. I'm getting some money. I'm going to the store afterwards. I'm going to go shopping. I'm going to have a feast tonight. My needs are going to be met today. And Peter says, sorry, brother. I don't have any silver or gold for you. In the King James Version, it says, silver and gold have I none. The apostles weren't rich men. They didn't have a ton of money. In fact, we see here they didn't have any money. You may hear preachers from time to time preaching that that Jesus was rich and the apostles were rich and, and the Lord wants all of us to be wealthy as well. But we just don't see that in Scripture, do we? Jesus was homeless. He talks about that. He says, birds have nests, fox have holes, but the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. We see Paul and his ministry. He struggled. Peter and John here, they don't even have an extra dollar to give this guy. Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter says, I don't have any money, but let me share what I do have. Let me share Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior. And he says, arise and walk. What was worth more to this guy? A loaf of bread or the ability to walk? This man who was lame from birth, Never able to walk. As a a kid, he couldn't run and play with the other kids. He wouldn't have been able to go to school. He couldn't have played hide and seek or football or rode a bike. Or as an adult, he couldn't have gone to the store. He wasn't able to do anything on his own. A very difficult existence for him. No no capacity in those days for self-reliance. Totally relying on the mercy of those around him. And so Peter says to him, I don't have any money, brother, but how would you like to walk instead? There's an interesting story, and I don't know if it's true or not. You know, it's it's just a story. I've heard it told a couple different ways, but this is how I heard it. There was a monk named Dominic in the 12th century, and he went to the Vatican to ask a favor of the pope. And so he gets there, And the Pope gives him this this grand tour of the Vatican in all of its opulence and glory. And he's walking him through the treasury and he's showing him this vast array of wealth and all this gold. And the Pope says to Dominic, no longer can Peter say, silver and gold have I none. And without missing a breath, the monk replies, no longer can Peter say, arise and walk. That's a rough statement, isn't it? The early church was poor. They were persecuted. They struggled. But there was power in the early church. There was faith. There was genuine reliance on the Lord. And I think partly it's because they didn't have a choice. Right? They had to rely on the Lord or perish. And Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. So Peter, he reaches down to this lame man and he pulls him up to his feet. Think about the faith that this took on Peter's part. You're healed. And he doesn't know anything's happened yet, right? And he grabs him and just lifts him up. And that's pretty confident, isn't it? That's that's bold. And I love that about Peter. He made a lot of mistakes, to be sure. But he's the only disciple that walked on water, wasn't he? You know, I love that about him. And and I also love here, we see this this gentleness with Peter. This gentleness bold compassion that he has and this love. You know, Peter, this big old, burly, salty fisherman turned preacher here, helping this crippled man stand up for the very first time. And it's just such a sweet scene. And Luke here, the author of Acts, remember he himself was a physician. And so he's kind of giving us some medical information here. Talks about how the man's feet and ankles were strengthened. And imagine this guy, never having been able to walk, crippled his whole life. And all of a sudden, his feet and ankles are strengthened. And I wonder what that looked like. You know, where they kind of curled up and they just kind of all of a sudden, did he realize what was going on? This is kind of one of those things I think we want to see the instant replay of when we get to heaven, isn't it? This is one of those amazing scenes. And look at verse 8. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. For the very first time probably, by the way. Walking and leaping and praising God. Don't you love this scene here? This guy is so filled with joy. He's dancing around, jumping up and down, praising God. Completely healed. And as we look at this, this leads to a question that we have to ask. Is the gift of healing still for today? Does God still heal? Do some people have this miraculous gift of healings? We talked about the same question as we were looking at the gift of tongues earlier in the book. You know, there are some people who would say that these are sign gifts and they're gone. These gifts were were only for a short period of time. The Lord gave them to, to the apostles to give them a little bit of extra credibility. And there's others that would say, You know, these (coughs) gifts, they're not only active today, but if you're not manifesting these sign gifts, if you don't speak in tongues, if you can't heal people, if you can't do these things, then you're probably not even saved. And we see both sides of this spectrum here. And I believe my position and the position of Calvary Chapel, generally speaking, is this. The, the gifts, and the word there for gifts is is charis. Those gifts are absolutely and unequivocally still for today, without question. And as I said, that word charis is where we get the word charismatic. Charismatic, right? We, we use that word a lot, meaning that we, we have the gifts. And so theologically speaking, we are charismatics as Calvary Chapel, and that we believe that the gifts of God are active and alive today. Now, if you're familiar with charismatic churches, it's safe to say that we're conservatively charismatic, right? And that we don't, nobody was waving flags today during worship. Nobody was dancing down the aisle as we were worshiping. Right? We believe that the gifts are active and alive today, but done orderly and in the proper time. And, you know, we read about these gifts in the New Testament. And we read about these healings taking place in the New Testament. And as we read through the book of Acts... You know, you can read through it in, you know, 45 minutes or whatever, and, and you read through miracle after miracle after miracle, and it's easy to sort of get the idea that these things were happening every single day at every single church service, and that's not what was going on, right? The book of Acts was spread across, across several continents over three decades, and so these things, why they happened, they weren't common everyday events. And this is important to note as well. Remember, many people weren't healed at the same time people were being healed. In fact, Jesus undoubtedly would have passed by this guy many times, right? If he's there every day at the temple, Jesus went to the temple frequently. Jesus had almost certainly encountered him at some point, and he was never healed up until this point. God can and does heal today. But not everyone and not all the time. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, remember Paul is, he's out on one of his missionary journeys and he has to leave one of his ministry partners behind. Why? Because he was sick, it says. In fact, Paul himself, Second Corinthians chapter 9. Remember he talks about how he has this, this thorn in his flesh. He has a, a, a physical issue going on. And he says three times he asks the Lord to heal him. And the Lord says, mm, no. I'm going to let you keep it. So that you can stay humble. And instead of healing you, I'm going to see you through it. And remember what he says? My grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness. God absolutely can heal. and Sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he has a plan and a purpose for people being sick. And we're going to come back to that in a second, but I want to touch on this for a minute. I remember back... Especially when I was in Belize. And I see it a little bit here too, but, but during our time in Belize, we would always see these, these healing crusades. And there would be these banners up across the street. You know, on January 2nd through 4th, we're having a healing crusade. Come receive your miracle. And I just don't think that's how it works. I don't think that we get to schedule the movement of God. I don't think that we can schedule miracles. And listen, I absolutely believe in miracles. I believe that there are people who have the legitimate real gift of of supernatural healing. I believe that the gifts are for today. But I also believe that there are a lot of frauds. There are a lot of phonies. There are a lot of fakes out there. And this has been well documented. You know, here's what happens a lot of times. People who are sick and they, they get quote unquote healed at a healing service. They go and they get all hyped up and it's emotional and they get pumped full of adrenaline and all of a sudden they start to feel better. And they can walk without back pain or or whatever the case may be. And that plays great on the TV screen. And it's great for the preacher to say, if you want to be healed too, just send in your check and, you know, all that stuff. But those things aren't real. They're not lasting. Those aren't legitimate healings. Once that adrenaline wears off, once the hype and excitement goes away, they're still in the same state they were before. Now, not to name names, except I'm going to because it makes a point here. You know, Benny Hinn is probably the most notable of these faith healers, right? And someone researched it, and this was interesting. They researched it, and there wasn't a single documented case of a legitimate, lasting healing. Not a single doctor said, you know, this person was crippled and now they're not. Not a single person was documented as being blind and then they weren't. Nobody was documented as having cancer and then Benny Hinn prayed for them and they didn't have cancer anymore. And and what happens often is, is when those healings fail, when the person isn't healed, you know, those preachers say, you know, it's, it's your fault. If, if you only had enough faith, you must have some secret, unconfessed sin in your life. And that is heresy. That's demonic. That's, that's from hell. The reality is sometimes it's the Lord's will for you to be sick. And you might say, what? You know, that, that doesn't fit my theology. Well, you know what? Maybe you need to change your theology then. Because sometimes it is the Lord's will for his people to suffer. And we don't always understand why. But maybe he wants to use your faith and your witness. Maybe he wants to use your example in hard times as a, as a witness to others. You know, we had a lady in our church who who used to come here and and she had to go um, three or four days a week to dialysis for eight hours a day. And it's so easy to say, oh, man, that is so terrible. Why would the Lord allow that to happen? But I would talk to her all the time. And number one, she was so filled with joy. And number two, she was constantly leading people to the Lord and evangelizing, and and sharing her faith there. Maybe the Lord has a plan that isn't centered on your personal comfort, but is centered on His divine, eternal plan for the salvation of lost men. It isn't always the Lord's will to heal in the present. And I know that eventually, We'll all be made whole when we enter into eternity. That being said, I do believe that the Lord does heal sometimes. James writes, James 5.14, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So this is an interesting dilemma that we find here in Scripture. James says that the prayer of faith will heal you. And on the first reading, it seems to imply that all who pray this prayer of faith will be healed. Everybody who gets their head anointed with oil, is going to be healed. And we know that this can't be true because, well, we all die, right? It says in Hebrews that it is appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. At some point, if that's your interpretation, that prayer of faith fails, right? Because we all die. But we know that the Bible is true. And so we know that what James is saying here must be true. The issue isn't with the Bible. The issue is with our understanding of what the Scripture is saying. And that's always the case, by the way, with the apparent contradictions in Scripture. The issue is never with the Scripture. It's with our understanding of the Scripture. He says that the prayer of faith will heal the sick. What is this prayer of faith that he's talking about? In 1 John five fourteen, John's talking about this prayer of faith. He's talking about asking anything according to the Father's will and that it would be done. In fact, he says this, and this is the confidence, this is the King James Version, this is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything According to His will, He hears it. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we will have the requests that we have asked of Him. So when we ask in faith, that's saying when we ask according to the will of God, it will happen. If we ask for healing according to God's will, and it doesn't happen, That means that it wasn't His will for that to happen yet. And we also understand from Scripture that every single believer will be healed at some point. Everyone will be made whole and complete at some point. Sometimes the Lord miraculously heals in this life, Sometimes he waits until we cross over into eternity to heal us completely. But eventually it will happen for each one of us. And a lot of times that's difficult for us because we're temporal beings, right? We live with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And, And we want things to happen now. And we get frustrated because we don't understand eternity and the grandeur and the, and the vastness of eternity. But I'll tell you this, 12 trillion years into eternity, you're not going to care that the Lord took a couple more years to heal you. It's not going to matter then. Now James here, he says that we should pray for healing and see if it is the Lord's will to heal. And he says we should anoint the sick with oil. Why oil? In Scripture, oil is symbolic of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, in our culture, you talk about, you know, anointing somebody with oil, and it's weird a little bit. Right? It's uncomfortable. Come here, let me let me let me pour some oil on your head. Right? And and we kind of do it in this way where, you know, the pastor has a little bottle and he kind of. With a little drip and puts it on your forehead. And remember when King David was anointed? They took out like bottles of it and they drenched them with it. And they're like, it's flowing. That's weird to us. And, and, and here's the thing, really, too the oil, it does absolutely nothing except condition your skin, maybe. But it's this act of faith and obedience to the Lord, right? That's, that's what's important here. And does God want to heal you from your sickness, from your infirmity? Yeah. Today, I don't know. There's only one way to find out, I guess. You know, gather the elders from your church. Have them anoint you with oil. And it doesn't have to be the pouring. We can can do the dot if you want. Right? And and see what the Lord wants to do. Pray and see if the Lord wants to heal you. And verse 9, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. And recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So this was a legitimate, miraculous healing. And we find this man who had been crippled his whole life. Dancing and leaping and praising the Lord. And the people saw it. And the people were amazed by it. Everybody knew this guy. They'd seen him begging here forever. And now they see him jumping and singing. And they're shocked. They're astonished by this healing. And I think that's why the Lord did it. You know, so people would see his power. Right? And there's a few things that this accomplished. Number one, it validated the ministry of the apostles, to everyone who was around there. There was no question that they were acting on behalf of the Lord at this point, right? Second, it revealed the kingdom. I think it it gave us a little glimpse into eternity, how we're all going to be made whole. Third, it revealed the gospel. It gave the disciples, as we're going to see next week, an opportunity to evangelize. It gave them an opportunity to proclaim the gospel message. And lastly, it promoted worship. This miracle caused the man to worship. It caused the believers to worship. And as we're going to see, it caused unbelievers to become believers in worship. We we live in a world that's fallen and broken and sinful. We live in a world that, that we created. Not, not in the sense of, you know, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But but we live in a, in a society that we created. You know, and all of the sickness, all the death, all the disease, that's the result of sin. That's the result of, of men's actions. And it's not... God's will. It's not God's perfect will that anyone should suffer. That they would go through pain and hard times. But he allows it and he uses it to his benefit to to further the kingdom of God, to advance the kingdom of God. And so if you are sick, see a doctor. Number one. I don't know if that's number one but see a doctor. God has given us Sort of, you know, this common grace and wisdom. And doctors have the ability to heal a lot of issues. And sometimes the Lord supernaturally uses doctors to heal naturally. Sort of a a supernaturally natural healing. The Lord blesses what the doctors are doing. Sometimes if you're sick, you need to have the elders pray for you. And sometimes he will move and there will be a miraculous healing. Sometimes we pray, we go to the doctor, we go to the elders, and we pray and nothing happens. And you're still sick and you still suffer. Why? Well, number one, maybe the Lord is trying to teach you something. Number two, maybe the Lord is using you and your example and your faithfulness and suffering to be a witness to others. And I don't know why these things happen. I don't think any of us are going to fully understand this stuff this side of eternity. I know this. If you're sick, use the resources available. But above all, trust the Lord and trust His compassion and trust His mercy no matter what the outcome, knowing that eventually we're all going to be made whole. And that he has a plan, and that he's sovereign, and that he's always in control. And secondly, as we close, remember Peter's example here. You know, Peter, he felt the leading of the Spirit. And when the Lord showed him that he was to do something, he was bold. And because of his boldness, the Lord did amazing things through him. And the same is true today. The Lord is looking people, he's looking for people who who will be bold for the sake of the gospel. He's looking for people who are willing to do bold things. He's looking for people who are willing to take chances. And when he finds those people, he'll do great things in and through them. So I just encourage you guys, To be bold. Be willing to take chances. Be willing to fall on your face. Be willing to be used by God today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the love that you have for us, Lord. We thank you for the fact that you always have have our best interest at heart, Lord, and you're always thinking of us. Lord, Even when we don't understand circumstances, we know that you're in control and, and that you have a perfect plan for our lives, Lord. And so we pray that you would help us to live by faith and to walk in boldness, Lord. We ask that in your name, Jesus.